Welcome to your upfront moment. We're building a confidence revolution. Hi friends, I'm Lauren Curry, the founder of Upfront. We're an organisation on a mission to change confidence for 1 million women and non-binary people by 2023. And we do this in three ways. We transform your relationship and habits around confidence, power and visibility through our six-week online course. Each cohort is called a bond. Bond is the collective noun for a group of women and over a thousand women have graduated from a bond from over 20 different countries. We build community, real, genuine, human community, where women learn how to stand up for themselves and each other. We hold each other to account. We celebrate each other and learn together. Our community is Global Bond. We create content that will inspire, challenge and motivate you to be upfront. We are here to change confidence, not women. Upfront Moment is designed to kick your week off with confidence, self-compassion and agency. Hi friend, welcome to this week's moment with Agnes Paul. Agnes is the founder and the CEO of the Black Maternal Health Institute. In 2018, she founded the Glow Mama Awards a prestigious annual awards celebrating the achievements of mothers on social media, which encourages mothers to rediscover their glow after pregnancy. And on the back of the success of Glow Mama, she's since co-founded the Fatherhood Awards. Agnes is a maternal health advocate. She is a champion of parents. She sits on the Maternity and Perinatal Mental Health Strategy Committee, she is a founding member of the Maternity Mental Health Steering Group and a patient and public voice partner for the Maternity Transformation Programme in the UK. I genuinely adored this conversation. I think Agnes is a remarkable storyteller, a co- such a compelling speaker, and her work is so significant and so vital because we are living in a black maternal health crisis. Before you listen to this episode, I want you to know that we do talk about labour, birth trauma, suicide is mentioned, we talk about invasive thoughts, we're digging into the stat of black women being five times more likely to die in the UK through childbirth. So just know those things before we jump into the conversation. And at the same time, it is a conversation of hope and joy and energy and motivation. Agnes talks about how Glow Mama saved her life, how she started it with zero pounds and just asking people to slide into her DMs. She talks about how using her voice to advocate for herself one step at a time slowly built her confidence back up and turned her into the social entrepreneur that she is today. This is an extraordinary conversation with an extraordinary woman. I hope you love it. Let's go.
Good morning, Agnes. How are you today? Morning. I'm lovely. How are you? I am good. I'm very happy to see your face this morning. I loved our last conversation. I've been looking forward to this very much um, since we met in person at the Pregnant Then Screwed March, which feels like a very long time ago now. I know. It feels like we kind of had like a first date, like on on the go, (laughs) speed dating. Then we were ushered in um, and we kind of fangirled all over on vir- virtually, and here we and here we are again. We've moved quite quickly, haven't it? Yeah, we're getting we're getting serious. So I would love love you to tell our listeners who are you, what you care about. Tell us about the mission you're on, Agnes. Right. So my name is Agnes, as, as you've already said. Um, I'm a maternal health advocate, and I'm passionate about all things maternal health, all things parenting. Um, I fell into this arena. I'm not even sure what you would call it. I I call myself so many things because I wear so many hats. Um, social impact entrepreneur, um, obviously mum in free, mum in chief. That's my main one. Um, but for me, I I kind of fell into this path as a mum who who had experienced care that was woefully short during my labour, um, and that was about coming up five years ago. And that really changed the trajectory of my whole life, my career. And I didn't want any woman to feel how I had been made to feel during my labor. You know, anything could happen to me. And I felt completely disregarded. And I shouldn't even say I felt, I was disregarded. Um, And I refused at that time to leave the hospital without speaking to the matron. And I'm glad I did because she was amazing, amazing, amazing. I would shout her out right now, but she'll probably be so embarrassed. But she was amazing and she really took my case forward and followed through. And I left the hospital feeling like, you know, I've been listened to. However, I thought if you were the first time mum and you experienced what I had experienced, how would you navigate that space? Like, what would you do? And so that, those questions um, that I was asking myself really spurred me on to start advocating for, for women. Um, I didn't know at the time that black women were five times more likely to die in pregnancy. I didn't have those, those stats. Um, I'd also experienced really bad invasive thoughts over, you know, I'm a mum of three. So, you know, I've experienced, you know, postnatal depression, but also something that I don't think is spoken about enough, but actually um, depression in pregnancy. So I had really bad invasive thoughts when I was um, pregnant with my with my second child. And so all of that kind of bubbled together over my pregnancy and um, maternal experiences made me want to create platforms to A, shine a spotlight on some of these different topics, um, but also celebrate celebrate mums, celebrate women, because I felt like we wasn't celebrated and acknowledged enough in our motherhood space. So um, I became a Maternity Voices Partnership Chair at the hospital that I had given birth in for my third child, which is, for those who are just listening in, it's a service user voice, platform to be able to advocate for women and families who've given birth at your local hospital so every hospital has it and that was really important to me because 
as I stated, you know, I had given birth to my third child and it was wild to me that the only other way that I could complain or put in a complaint about the care that I had received would have been that I would have gone home with my new baby and write, a, in essence, a report, a complaint to pals, to the system and send that off. You know, I've got two children at that time, one and five. I've got a newborn baby. I don't even know how I'm going to come in and out of the shower. Like, I don't even know how I'm going to have time to even spruce my house or have a bit of a clean. And I would be expected to write, you know, this whole kind of complaint. So being an MVP, Maternity Voices Partnership Chair, was really important to me because it meant that women and their families could seek me out or I could create spaces for them to seek me out. And then I would be able to take those stories, um, good and bad, because it's not just about what's not working, but also what is working and take that into the conversations that I was having with, you know, head of midwifery, the obstetricians and gynecologists, the health visiting team, you know, all the multidisciplinary players. So from there, I also started the Glow Mama Awards that celebrates the achievements of mums on social media. And I felt additionally to that, I needed to create an additional space for global black maternal health because that was a really big specific issue that um, I felt needed more spotlight on and, and, and a real nuance to it. And on the back of all of that, I founded Global Black Maternal Health. And I love you. And then I just founded this, and then I found like I love how you're just so casual about it all. Because what's fascinating to me is you weren't an entrepreneur before you had your babies and before you had this trauma. Um, and I'm always really fascinated about the bridge between the moment you feel like you want to do something and then becoming a pe the person who does the thing, who starts the company, who builds the awards, who takes up this position with the MVPs. Can you talk to me a wee bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll be very honest. If I had known at the beginning, when I started my first complaint, and I, I'll put that in inverted commas, mm -hmm. that I would be doing all of this, I probably would have run for the hills. I would have run for the mountains mm -hmm. because it would have yeah. felt really overwhelming and really daunting. You know, I was happy to have my babies. Of course, I wanted to have some sort of career and, and do stuff, but it, it would have made, it would have really freaked me out because it is a lot. And I think for me, what was happening, it was that one step at a time. It was mm -hmm. me starting to use my voice to advocate for change. And then every time I was taking a step further, I started to see how much more needed to be done. And then I started to, to say, well, if not me, then who? Because I think sometimes we look at, we wait for others to make that change. Um, and we may wait for others, or we think that others are better suited to do it. You know, I know I've had imposter syndrome. I still have imposter syndrome all the time. And you start thinking, well, I could, this would be a really good idea if somebody else did this and this would be amazing if somebody else did that. So there was a lot of that. But equally, if I talk about the three brands individually, so number with Maternity Voices Partnership, I 
I was just so incensed. I didn't know I was going to be an MVP chair, but I did know I wanted to go back to that hospital and really give them like some lessons learned. I knew that was what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And by the time I had finished and gone through that process, they had dubbed that that now I'm a co-chair, MVP chair. So I it wasn't something I sought out because I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't who knows about you know if you don't have kids like who knows there's something called mvp chair i mean i certainly yeah. did it i mean i went i went through a complaint process around my labor and i and that was a hospital in london and that was never mentioned to me it's never mentioned and yeah. and i think it's important because you need that human you know having someone to talk to and talk through it um and be able to say oh actually let me escalate that or let me check this or let me um, I think it's so important. It's like that peer support. So I, I never, ever in a million years knew or thought it out, but I did want to use my voice. And I feel like using my voice created um, created that opportunity. I'm not an MVP chair now, but now I actually sit on something called the Maternity Transformation Programme for NHS England, which is basically advocating again for service users. And mm-hmm. I, but that's particular with a particular lens on women who've got two or more existing medical conditions, diagnosed or undiagnosed, because if we're trying to, you know, cut the maternal um, mortality rates, then that's a real big issue, but also on the equity and equality board. So from just me having my own experience and my own trauma and then wanting to speak out, but not necessarily for myself, because I felt that I actually had a good resolution in my case, but I didn't want anybody else to feel that way. So many doors have opened within that kind of maternal health lens. So I'm sharing that because I feel like I'm, I know it's a podcast and I'm meant to speak about myself, but then I'm like, I'm ranting about myself, but for also for all the others that may be listening, you know, whether you're a man, a woman, whether you're a, a child or, or somebody younger who's kind of thinking about, well, what is it that I want to do? Sometimes your passions and your voice and you kind of speaking out about something you're passionate about can also open up opportunities that you may not have seen or known was there. And certainly that was my case. With Glow Mama, it's a little bit different. Do you want to just say a wee bit about, because I feel like maybe folks who haven't, who aren't mothers or haven't been pregnant or had babies might not be familiar with the invasive thoughts that come with newborns. I know I experienced that as part of the PTSD that I had from birth trauma. And, well, it doesn't shock me. I'm not surprised because the system is working how it's designed to work, right? But I I still cannot, I'm so furious that pregnant people are not told at the start of their pregnancy, like, this is a very common thing. This is what happens. This is what it feels like. This is what to do if it starts to feel unmanageable. And so you have all these pregnant women and new mothers all over the world genuinely terrified that they are losing their minds because of these, because we're not told. We're not told that this it's it's such a common thing. So can you say a wee bit about what that is? In the UK, approximately 700,000 births occur annually, right? So that's quite a um, a big number. And out of that, approximately one in seven that's reported um, has some sort of, you know, 
postnatal or prenatal depression, invasive thought, mental health challenge. So that's a lot, right? When when you look at that, that's like we're looking at, you know, a minimum of around a hundred thousand pregnant people a a year, a hundred thousand up and down the country. And so, you know, just to expand on on that question, invasive thoughts, postnatal depression, prenatal depression, so even starting in pregnancy, is where it's it's like a spectrum because it's it's so vast and it can look different to different people. Mm-hmm. But it can start from, you know, a lack of, you know, just how you see yourself. So just feeling, you know, not so feeling negative about yourself. It can start with, you know, feeling like actually you shouldn't exist, feeling worthless. It can start with, or even end with, should I say, because it's a spectrum. It can look like um, just feeling like, just feeling like you don't want to be here, you know, just feeling like you don't want to be here or you don't deserve to be here. Or actually you're not good enough to be here. And this could be for a pregnancy that you've planned. You know, I've spoken to women who spend thousands of pounds on IVF for a a baby that they really, really want. And then, like you said, it just hit them like a can of bricks that all of a sudden, you know, they feel like actually... I'm, I'm not a good mum, I'm not good enough, you know, I shouldn't be here anymore. Um, and at the other spectrum, it's, you know, I, I, I feel like I, I, I should die. And to context this, you know, the leading cause of, of death or one of the leading cause of death of women, of pregnant, um, or, or in pregnancy, um, from pregnancy to one year after birth is suicide. So this is not just, you know, when we're talking about having, you know, invasive thoughts and not feeling good about yourself, you know, the leading cause. So sometimes we feel like, you know, when we're looking at these, the the stats about maternal mortality and how many women are, are, um, are losing their lives, you kind of have this image that it's on the, on the hospital bed, right? But actually, more deaths occur, it's a staggering, I believe it's ne- nearly 70% of, 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 of all deaths um, occur firstly in the postnatal period. Um, yeah. So that's after you've given birth. Um, and then when we context that, it's the leading cause of that is suicide. Mm-hmm. So there is so much that, as you said, the, the lack of um, support that's out there, you know, trusts are trying. So, you know, I don't want to kind of throw the whole system under the bus. I mean, mm. there, there is a lot of work um, that is is occurring to obviously try and, and readdress and support women, but just certainly yeah. not enough, not enough. Of course. And we know we are really good friends with the team at Make Birth Better. You know, they're an example of uh, independent charity who's doing incredible work in this space. So tell us about the the specific lens of black women and race around maternal health. Well, it's so important um, to me. And when I look at it just from my lens and then I look at the kind of black maternal health crisis, because to me, that's what it is globally. I think it's something that everyone needs to be concerned because it's like that saying, if your neighbor's house is burning, it's coming to you, right? So good maternal care for 
for one set of peop, people, community, group, is good maternity care for all, right? Mm-hmm. So in the UK, um, when I started this journey, black women were five times more likely, and now it's more nearer four times more likely. And that was a staggering, a staggering stat. I'm a Londoner, born and raised, you know, and being a Londoner, it's so diverse. You know, my friends are from all, I grew up in an environment where everybody's from everywhere. Monday, you go to so-and-so's house, you're eating Italian food. Tuesday, you're eating Chinese food. Like literally because of the community and the melting pot that London Mm -hmm. is. So to know that irrespective of my socioeconomic background, irrespective of my, you know, demographic, you know, wherever it is that I live, I am, or I was five times more likely or four times more likely to die. It is such a wild stat. Like in the UK, that is wild. But then when I started to unpick, I understood that Mm -hmm. actually in America, the stats are exactly the same, you know, black women are four times more likely to die. And in some states, we're talking about like literally nine times more likely to die. Um, bearing in mind there's a different healthcare system there. So mm-hmm. it it opens up questions. Then even in Australia, you know, the St. Tora Islanders, Aboriginal, they're three times more likely to die. Um, and then in sub-Saharan Africa, which I think for me was just the bit that kind of took my breath away, 70% of all maternal health deaths occur in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and when we look at, you know, the kind of continents and, you know, countries around, sub-Saharan Africa is not even the most populated. So 70% of all deaths occurring in sub-Saharan Africa, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's wild. So yeah. for me, creating Global Black Maternal Health was about creating a platform, creating a an organisation that's not just shining the spotlight via research and advocacy, but also connecting the dots with other organisations um, around the world that's also doing similar work because it's not going to be a one-stop shop of of just one person doing working in silo in the UK or, or an organisation and equally in America. I felt like this is actually, it's like, the climate justice movement and so forth. This is a global yeah. um, conversation where we need to be looking at it deeper. So that's what global black maternals, global black maternal health is all about. And we do this through a number of different ways. Mm-hmm. Research is one of our key anchors. And the reason that research is so important is because firstly, there's a lack of black lead researchers within maternal health. And, you know, if we're looking to readdress any imbalance, we need to have um, the right people asking the right questions because they have an understanding of the nuances of community, of culture, and having, you know, them front and centre. If you don't have that, then you have a lack of evidence base. You might be asking questions, but are they the right questions if you don't have a context for the culture, for the community? Um, And it means that if they're not the right questions, then the recommendations that come out of that work can kind of be off the mark. So um, we're about firmly putting, um, you know, the community back at the heart of research. Community should be led by us, for us, and then obviously amplified and together in solidarity with 
the world, I should say. Um, so yeah, that's Global Black Maternal Health. Um, we've been operating now for about a year and a half and I'll say it's been a whirlwind. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And it's like every step we take, there's more to be, like there's so much more to be done. Our flagship project um, or one of our flagship projects at the moment is air pollution in pregnancy. And we are launching the first annual Black Child Clean Air Conference, looking specifically at the environmental justice lens and how um, the environment, clean air, toxic air impacts particularly black communities. So in London, black Londoners are three times more likely to breathe illegal levels of air. Um, in Southwark, which is just one borough in Lewisham, mm-hmm. Southwark const- constitutes like Peckham, Old Kent Road, mm-hmm. um, 76 deaths a year are happening as a result of, of air pollution. Um, and when we're looking at things like morbidity, you know, when any community that lives in high levels of air pollution, if you're pregnant, your child's three times more likely to um, have autism. You know, if we talk about mental health, which we spoke about, yeah. there's a massive increase there. Even diabetes. I never knew there was any link between air pollution and diabetes. I thought it's all the, you know, cakes and stuff that you that you eat. So there's just so much um, to do. And Global Black Maternal Health is about readdressing those imbalances. Fantastic. And how can folks get involved, support? What's What does that look like? There's, there's a lot to do. Um, first of all, we're not an <laughs> island. We're big on collaboration. We're big on working together with with everyone. Um, first of all, there's getting our work out there. You know, we're, we're a small organisation punching way above our weight. And so we need others to amplify our work, amplify what we're doing, amplify our conferences um, so that we have more people attending. And particularly when we're talking about global black maternal health, it's not just about the black community attending because mm-hmm. the black community already know what's going on because, you know, we, li- we, we live... Well, this is a white people problem to solve, right? It, it's white. It's, it's, it's everyone coming together, you know. It's everyone because yeah. it's like if you don't... If, if, just one community is having that conversation in their own community. It's just going round in a circle, right? So we need allies, right? And we need people from the white community to also look in and say, this is unacceptable. Um, what is it that I can do to support, to amplify? Um, maybe it's an introduction or a connection to somebody. Maybe it's, you know, like Lauren, you were straight away when we spoke about this before, like, how do we get this in our newsletter? How do we do X, Y, and Z? It can be literally something like that, whatever it is within your power to be able to um, support, to amplify we we're we're more than happy to receive. So I feel like that there is is a is a is a real mm-hmm. big thing and actually really important because that's the one thing we can't do. We can do all this research, but if somebody doesn't say actually why are we not looking at that report, um, and we don't have the power and influence, then it's just going to be another report gathering dust somewhere. Um, with mm-hmm. Glow Mama, I would say Glow Mama, it, it's dubbed the Baftas for mums on social media. It's an annual <laughs> award where literally. We, I mean, children can come, but most of the time, childcare is sorted. The Prosecco's out. If you drink Prosecco and if not, there's non-alcoholic um, drink. And you're all looking absolutely glamorous. And what I love about Glow Mama is the absolute diversity. It's a melting pot. 
We have mum flying in from Northern Ireland, getting the training from Wales. Um, and as a Londoner, you know, that is wild again to me. It's crazy <laughs> because it's like, you know, even coming from North London to South London can be a stretch at times. And seeing how this movement of mamas across the UK are like glow mama. And something that I didn't say because I've just been rambling on for a God knows how long is when we're talking about mental health and invasive thoughts. So Glow Mama saved my life. And what I mean by that is Glow Mama was actually my affirmation. So when I was um, experiencing invasive thoughts, I used to tell myself Glow Mama every day. I would be crying. I would be feeling worthless. And I would through the tears say Glow Mama, which I was telling myself to glow. And um, I was saying this all the time. And what helped me, which I know social media does not get a good press. But for me, I always say this social media saved my life because I was tuned in to all these other tribes of amazing women um, who were just out there shining a spotlight on their authentic motherhood journey. So I started finding out about new podcasts that I would never have known about, community mm -hmm. groups, um, campaigns, all the funniest mamas because I needed to laugh. Yeah, there's a lot. There's so many brilliant, funny mamas, yeah. And that was peer support for me. I didn't have the language then, but it was digital peer support for me. And so when I started feeling a bit better about myself, glowing... Um, I created this online platform, which was only meant to be online, to celebrate those mums who use their platform to inspire other mothers like myself to glow. When I put it out there, all these other mums were like, hold on a minute, there's an award for mums. I need every single award there is. Where <laughs> is it going to be? And you can imagine I had a four week old when I started this. So I was not thinking to do a physical awards at all because I have three, three kids. I didn't want to, um, to, to leave, um, leave my house. But here we are five years later, um, celebrating our fifth annual Glow Mama Awards, which is a physical award. Um, we featured in all the mainstream, um, media. We've had, um, an, our impressions within, 48 hours of Glow Mama was over 1.3 million on, and that was just on Instagram alone. And so it just goes to show the power of putting one one foot forward um, and what you can achieve. It's just so awesome. And I really, what I really love about the work you do and even how you've told the stories you've told us today around the black maternal health work and the air pollution work, it's how you are designing a life and a career where justice, work and joy can coexist side by side. I think that's incredibly inspiring. And I sense just from how, from the time that I've spent with you that that's intentional and like part of how you show up in the world. And I'd love you to tell us about confidence, of course, because that is what Upfront is all about. We do a huge amount of work with mums. Our Bond programme, which is our six-week online course, is completely free if you're on maternity leave. So the next one starts on June 5th. Agnes, I know we're plotting in the background, hoping that you're able to join and be a Bonder this time around. But for folks listening in, if you are on maternity leave, send me a message, lauren at weareupfront.com and we can get you your free place on bond number seven. 
And we have a mini bond within our bond for mothers and carers where we are looking directly at a lot of the themes that you work around, Agnes, because confidence and motherhood are directly linked. You know, for many, many women, motherhood is the point in their life where they talk about their confidence being stolen, being crushed. Many mums are in a place where they feel like their confidence has will never come back. Um, and we are also looking directly at the how race intersects with that problem. So we have a mini bond for black and brown people, which is looked after by Casey Robinson, our brilliant anti-racism coach. Um, because as your work demonstrates so significantly, there is an, an acute, I, I appreciated you calling it a crisis, and that's the language that I'm going to use from now on. You know, there is a crisis around black maternal health, Hi friend, I'm here to tell you about Bond7. It's an exhilarating six-week online experience where you learn to build your confidence and the confidence of the people around you. And it all happens live alongside hundreds of curious women from all over the world. I promise you three outcomes. You'll learn to love that thing you're scared of, you'll find your people and you'll 10x your confidence. Go to weareupfront.com for all the details. Tell us about, have you always been confident? What are you, what do you do to stretch your confidence muscles? What does confidence mean to you? When I was a little girl, probably I would have been called a bossy little girl when I was little. Of course, all, all the best uh, yeah, of us I were. I, I was bits. just a woman, who, a totally. little girl who knew what she wanted. Um, well, I didn't know what I wanted, but I would show up in the world like that because what little girl does know, we think we know more than mm-hmm. we do. Um, but motherhood stripped all of that for me um Mm. it stripped it all and it was a slow crushing strip to the point where I didn't know when that happened and I didn't even know that others had recognized that my confidence had gone because you know there were times when people would misunderstand what I was going through and say oh you're insecure or you're Mm. um you know, or you didn't, you, you know, you wasn't yourself. But I thought I was wearing a good mask, you know, especially mm. around my non-mom friends, because when I started my journey of motherhood, I was probably, no, I was the first within my immediate mm-hmm. circle at the time to have, have a baby. So I was still wearing very much a mask around, oh yeah, I've had a baby, but I'm still ags, you know, I'm still <laughs> trying to wear that mask. And so... For me then, the lack of confidence was showing up in in different ways and I didn't really have um, a support system to be able to speak up about it, to share and, you know, it was just showing up in in different ways that weren't counterproductive. I would say, um, did that change? No, when I had my second child, uh, you know, I think the lack of not understanding and dealing with my own maternal mental health and the lack of confidence in my first pregnancy, even though there was a four year gap, it came tumbling down like a ton of bricks. 
you know, because now I felt literally physically like I can't breathe, like I'm losing mm. myself and I feel hopeless, you know, it compounded, right? And I feel like there's a direct um, correlation between my first yeah. and that being untreated and me thinking like I'm okay because I'm showing up and I'm wearing my mask, mm -hmm. that coming into my second and then between my second and third, there's only literally a year difference. So I didn't even have time to digest all of that before I was pregnant again. And I think the biggest thing for me in terms of what was the changer was feeling that fear and showing up anyway. When I did my first annual Glow Mama Awards, bearing in mind that um, I the first awards occurred six months after my third child. So my baby was six months old, again, with a two-year-old and then a five, six-year-old. I was pooping my pants. And I'm saying the polite one, just in case anybody <laughs> else is listening in. Um, I was pooping my pants. I read that script with my head buried into the paper. I felt that fear, but I did it anyway. And I remember that I had a, um, there was this guy, I wish I remember his name because I would shout him out. I went to an event for mums, a community group um, that I had found out about on social media. And he gave me a CD for my daughter and mm. it was all about songs for children to encourage them to believe in themselves. And, mm -hmm. you know, there were some of them were like little raps, but they were with adult beats. So imagine like you've got like <laughs> Destiny's Child, independent women. It wasn't Destiny's Child, but that kind of vibe. Yeah. But they're like, you know, believe in yourself. You might be 10 years old or you might be, it was like yeah. that kind of vibe. And one of them was like this, it felt like a neo-soul type beat background. Mm -hmm. And it was all about feeling the fear, but you've got to push through and do it anyway. And you've got to believe in yourself. And this was a CD for my, at that point, five, six year old. And I remember even on the way to the awards, just I kept on blaring out this song um, about how you got to feel the fear, which was designed for my child, but I needed that. And I think that was my inner yeah. child, you know. And that is just to Absolutely. say to what I've learned over these last particularly five years is that people that are perceived as being successful or perceived as doing well, they have the same insecurities. They have the same imposter syndrome. They have the same doubt. They have the same, you know, questions of confidence and am I, did I sound okay? And did I muffle or did I speak too fast or was I too loud or... You know, oh my goodness, what am I doing in a room? Or what am I doing on the Upfront podcast, you know? <laughs> yes, it's where you belong, baby. <laughs> but they feel that fear and they do it anyway. And then they might crash out on the sofa afterwards and be like, oh my God, I did it. But they still feel that way. And I think the more I've been putting each foot forward and just going up the stairs, I've been giving myself that grace to actually... What I felt was not normal and feeling, uh, which would have been a barrier for me to even start something because I'm feeling like I'm not worthy enough. And, you know, maybe everyone's going to laugh at me or what if I fail? Like once I started to understand that these are normal, normal, normal ways of feeling and thinking and that you need to push through because yes, you could fail. Yes, it may not work, but that's also part of the journey. Once I started to understand and accept that, I think the doors open. So I still feel lack of confidence on some days. And I still feel like, what am I doing? Or, 
oh my God, this person just emailed me. And oh my God, like, wow, I'm about to embark on this project. Or I'm, I poop myself every single time I'm about to step up on the stage on Glow Mama. But I, the challenge for me is not how I'm feeling, is am I going to do it? And then I always say, yes, I have to do it, even if I make a fool of myself. Yeah, so I want to like whip and cheer. And I love that you talked about grace because that was the that was the theme of our conference was the relationship with grace and confidence. Because I think that piece of giving yourself grace, giving yourself the cheerleading and the pep talk that you would give to your five-year-old or you would give to your best friend, if you're able to give yourself that same tenderness, I really believe like extraordinary things can happen. And that's, you know, that's very much the mission that I'm on is how how many women, you know, I want to help a million women and more get to a place where they do the thing anyway. So it's not waiting to feel ready. It's not waiting for the fear to go away. It's taking action despite the fear, despite not feeling ready. And I wanted to add to that, especially when you put on the lens about how, you know, the confidence can particularly, um, you know, in particular to the black community, because I know that you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to do a special shout out, particularly um, to my fellow sisters, my fellow brothers, um, you know, however you show up in the world. Because, you know, when I founded the Glow Mama Awards in particular, as a dark-skinned black woman, with the phone in my hand, um, I created this platform and I wasn't thinking particularly for a community as in like ethnicity or so forth. I was thinking of just motherhood. That was my, my mm -hmm. thought. I thought every mum, you know, I didn't care whether you were a duchess down to somebody who's had their first child as a teenager. I felt like every mum needed that space. But actually, when you see how Glow Mama has grown over the years and the fact that it's resonated with so many people from so many different backgrounds, that would have scared me before because I would have felt like nobody's going to come to an event, like a national awards with me at the helm of it. If I'm being frankly honest, and it's probably something I would never have said before, I wouldn't have felt. And actually, you know, I was somewhat hiding behind my brands because I felt like, oh, people wouldn't come if they knew it was me at the helm of it as a, as a, as a black woman. But actually... No one cares or no one cared. No, they still don't care. They're, they're all on their case saying, when's the next one? Um, and, and so forth. So or we do care and we love you and think you're amazing. But what I mean by no one cares is my, the insecurity that I had there, which was, which is valid. It was a valid insecurity because yeah. we know what's going on in the world. Let's not pretend on that. But actually yeah. it didn't, it didn't impact. And, um, it was just showing up, delivering a really good product. Equally, I didn't have any money. I don't want it to sound like, oh, well, maybe she must have had all that money to start. I had 0.00 minus pounds. I didn't have a website. I would tell people to slide into the DMs to nominate. That was how broke I was. And so I would say, you know, slide into the DMs. Whoop, there it is to nominate your mums. <laughs> I would brand all the problems that I had and the lack of. That would be my branding. Like, mums, we don't have time to click on a link and go here and do that. If you slide into the DMs, it's the, easy, it's the most simple way. And they did. They slid into the DMs and said, oh, I want to nominate. And they would tag the person. Literally, that's how I started. I had no website. The person that did all the graphics and the VTs, 
I gave him 50 pounds. He's still with us now. And obviously I can give him a bit more now, thankfully. But I had 0.00 pounds. Um, so again, when we're talking about the confidence, sometimes mm-hmm. we're thinking that we need to have everything perfect. I went to the venue and begged them. I said, it's a charity it's for mums. Um, and they gave us it at a real charitable rate, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have all the perfect, like, canapes. I got um, sandwiches from Marks and Spencers. They stopped doing them now, and I'm furious. But I got the sandwich platters from Marks and Spencers. And I'm just saying, like, literally, I had nothing. And so, again, when we're talking about confidence, and it's why I love what you guys do up front, sometimes the lack of confidence is because we've just had our children. We're thinking we ain't got no money. We don't have a minute to even think. Um, You know, nobody possibly will be interested. We're thinking someone's going to think we're too big, we're too small, we're too tall, we're too short, we're too dark, we're too light. Our hair's ginger, blonde, brown, whatever it is. And we're wearing whatever the insecurity is that we have. And we thought that's going to be the reason that everybody else is not going to navigate. And sometimes, you know, the the dream and the ideas that we have to give birth to, we we allow that to um, to kind of just stay inside. And I always say to women now that when you give birth to a new baby, you also give birth to a new version of you and you need to un- mm-hmm. untap and activate that new woman. And once you've activated that new woman and it takes a while, all of a sudden you start, it's like taking the red pill now. You start seeing the world differently. <laughs> but what happens for us women is that we become, um, we become, we don't have the support around that really sensitive time. So we don't get to untap that new woman in that new season and that can get buried in, in, um, on us. So um, confidence is a huge thing. I love what you guys are doing um, at Upfront Thank because you. as you can hear that, that links into all the all, all, all the work that we do, um, feel the fear, do it anyway. It doesn't have to be perfect. So what if there's mistakes? We've had times when we did the Glow Mama, the VT starts freezing. We've had mistakes and, and so forth. But you know what? We learn from that. We reflect and we move forward. We don't have to be perfect. Yeah. And I, I love your story is such a case study. And, you know, if I put my entrepreneur hat on it's like this idea of you need a website you need a strategy you need a brand you need a logo you do not need any of that this is all of that is built to keep you small and to keep you where you are it's like, oh you can't do anything without a business plan can't do anything without a business bank account you need none of that you need something to say and the courage to say it yes and that's it Where's the t-shirt, Lauren? Where is the t-shirt? Because I love that. I love it. Yeah. So my question, my last question to you is, when we support a million women who are in a place where they're doing the thing, despite the fear, despite not feeling ready, they're tapping into the confidence that they've always had that has been taken away from motherhood, from the bad boss, from the mean best friends, whoever that might look like, from your vantage point, from where you sit in the world, how do you think the world would be different if we could activate that in a million women? Not even the world would be different. It would be unrecognisable, right? It would be unrecognisable. Firstly, um, I feel like that's a podcast within itself. Oh, that's a good idea. You know, when I think about myself as a mother, and I'm saying this now with the lens of being a mother, and the children that I'm raising... 
and them seeing me glow, right? And them seeing me confident within myself means that I'm modeling that to them. And me being the best version of myself, even if it's not 100% because I don't subscribe to 100% of, of, of myself to my children, only because 100% of the tired, lack of confidence, lack of awareness version of myself, I don't even want that person. So why would I want my children to have 100% of that version? But 80%, 90% of the best version of that confident, you know, that me, you know, as you said, um, that is now, I'm now raising the next generation, three of them, to go out there, two boys who are going to look at women in a, in a certain way because of the yeah. modelling they've been able to have from from their mum and a daughter that is going to go out there and kick ass and not and not take any prisoners in the process. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine if there's a million version of those women, and I'm not necessarily saying mothers, you know, some who may be mothers, some who have the confidence to now go and pursue... Um, you know, a, a latest technological advancement, some who, you know, have got the have got the confidence to go and take on the word of astronomy, who've got the confidence to go and pr- produce um some new movies and books and and all these other different type of um of amazing skills and and know-how and give birth, literally figuratively, give birth to these new ideas, the world will be transformational. So for me, the work that you guys are doing is not just about, yay, let the women, let the women be cool, let the women believe in themselves. It's actually about a system change. It's actually about empowering men and women, right? Men and women by doing this, men and women, to um, see the world in such a different way because they have good modelling. Beautiful. Perfect note to end on. I honestly could genuinely talk to you all day. (laughs) I've loved this conversation. And I just think what you're doing, what you're doing, but also how you're doing it and how you talk about it is just a joy to be part of. So thank you so much for your time, Agnes. I'm going to put all the links we've talked about in the show notes so people can support you, follow you, you know, join the visible army that is on your side cheering for you every step of the way. So thank you so much for being a guest on Upfront Moments. Um, thank you so much. Thank you to everyone that's listening. Um, and again, just thank you for the work that you're doing. And obviously if there's anything that we can do to support you, you, you don't even have to say anything, we're there. I told you so. I told you she was inspiring. What a conversation. All the links to the reports and the organisations that Agnes mentioned are in the show notes. Please take her up on her request to amplify her work. Go check out the links, follow her on social media, share the report with your teams and your organisations. Help her spread the word of this really important work. And the upfront challenge this week is one centred around the statistic that Agnes and I talked about around the leading cause of death in new mothers being suicide. And your challenge is a very simple one. Call the new mothers in your life. And we're defining new mothers as zero to 12 months into their new motherhood journey call them, text them and tell them that they are loved and that you are there 
Don't wait for them to call you. Don't wait for them to ask for help. Keep reminding them that they are enough and that you are there and that they are loved. And if you are a new mum and you are experiencing new thoughts or feelings that you've never had before, which are making you feel disturbed or nervous, if you're constantly feeling useless, like you can't cope, feeling distant from your baby, if you're having thoughts of suicide or violent self-harm, please, please talk to your doctor. Motherhood is such an incredibly vulnerable time and this system is not designed to support new mothers. So we have to do what we can. And a reminder that if you are on maternity leave, we would love to welcome you to Bond 7. Starts on June 5th. Your place is completely free. Send me an email, lauren at weareupfront.com to get your ticket. Of course, Upfront has made me more confident, more sure of myself. People have noticed a change in me. They did after even two weeks of doing the course. But the most important thing for me was it helped me realise how unhappy I was in the job I was doing, how unhappy I was with the culture, but gave me the courage to step up and say something and ultimately encouraged me to go out on my own and set up as a freelance person. That's just an absolute game changer for me. Thank you so much for listening, friend. Let me know how you get on with your Upfront challenge. You can always write to me, lauren at weareupfront.com. Let me know what this moment made you think about. And don't forget to sign up to our amazing Upfront newsletter. Every Tuesday, I send links, inspiration and insight around confidence, power and visibility to over 5,000 inboxes. Guaranteed gumption and action. Bye friend, I'll see you on Monday for your next Upfront Moment.